G'day, welcome along to another sermon from Good News Christian Church in Howrah, Tasmania, Australia. I'm Bernard Kane, I'm the pastor. Get in touch sometime at goodnewschristianchurch.org or why not come by one Sunday morning. For now, here's the sermon. Um, please keep that Acts passage particularly open in front of you. I think that will be a help to you. Um, so the last few months, we've been patiently progressing our way through Luke's Gospel um, since uh, February, early February, uh, right up until the Easter story, uh, Good Friday and Easter Sunday, the story of Jesus' death and resurrection, Luke 23 and 24. And Luke's Gospel, I want to say it leaves us in an intriguing place, Luke's Gospel does. Um, because it's clearly not an ending, even though Luke's Gospel comes to an end there at the end of chapter 24, Um, but it's a beginning, as we heard last Sunday, it's a beginning, in fact, of an unending story. So, we read these words last Sunday from Luke 24, verse 45, then He, as in Jesus, the risen Jesus, then He opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures, He told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Now, as I'm sure you're aware, or most of us are aware, um, Luke went on then to write the sequel to his Gospel, which we call the Book of Acts, or the Acts of the Apostles. Um, And the Book of Acts then opens with the same kind of a theme. So, in Acts chapter 1, just let me read it to you, in, uh, say, verse 7, he said to, Jesus said to them, uh, further down, you will receive power, so you, it's speaking to His disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After the, He said this, He was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid Him from their sight. Now, as I mentioned, it's customary for us on the Sunday following Easter to set our eyes toward the return of Jesus, toward the return of Christ in glory. And so, today, through the lens, if you like, of Luke and now Acts, since we've been looking through Luke, I thought, let's do that, not so much in terms of what will it be like, um, how will He appear, uh, uh, what will we experience at that time, Uh, Rather, to cap cap off our series in Luke, how does Luke chart the course ahead for us, from here until there, uh, between now and then? Christ is coming back, in fact, the angels say it in Acts chapter 1, in uh, just uh, a few verses on, they were looking intently, uh, the disciples looking intently up into the sky as He was going, uh, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them, men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back, will come back in the same way you have seen Him go into heaven. So, yes, Christ is coming back. But until then, what will life be like? What should we expect? How will Christ uh, reach all nations beginning at Jerusalem? Uh, And if we're obedient and on board with the call of Jesus on our lives uh, as a church together, as Good News Christian Church, if He's genuinely involved and active and the Word is indeed still progressing in His world, uh, how will that look? Acts 28 shows us, I believe, the magnificent, glorious, wonderful and yet mundane, the majestic and yet ordinary mission of Jesus in real life, just like our lives uh, here as Jesus pursues His mission 
to the ends of the earth. And so I offer this really for our encouragement as we lift our eyes together, uh, not only to uh, the coming of Jesus um, way off then, but to the very real fact that he is in our midst now. And of course, it may not be way off then, it could be very soon indeed, but you know what I mean. As we lift our eyes not only to that glorious future, uh, wow, how magnificent it will be, but even now to the work of Jesus among us by his spirit for the glory of God and for the hope and salvation of our world. Let's pray as we come to um, Acts 28. Our great and heavenly Father, uh, the eternal and faithful I am, our God of patient covenant love. Would you refresh us, please, with the hope of Christ's coming return? Uh, Would you inspire and console us with the hope of life and the renewal of all things? Uh, Would you console us with the, the promised repair of our own fractured and frail and flawed selves and also with the restoration and wholeness of our world and of all of your children? Father God, may we, may we be gripped this morning, not just by a dream, but by the destiny that you are drawing us on toward, the glory of Jesus, the kingdom of God in fullness. And so, Father, may we please learn to live right now in our age and our time, our circumstance and each our peculiar station in life, refresh us with a clear and compelling view of Christ this morning, please. Amen. Uh, let me ask you, have you ever seen a, uh, a film or watched a book? Watched a book? <laughs> read a book? Have you ever watched a film or read a book uh, which you loved? Like, right? Okay, so one that you were drawn in by. It really had you uh, and you found it compelling. You found the characters really interesting. You found the plot um, engaging as it, as it sort of uh, drew you along, whether it's a film or a book, it doesn't matter. The, 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 uh, the hours, minutes flitted by, the, the pages seemed to turn by themselves, we could just watch or read that thing uh, forever. Until the ending. Have you ever read a, a book or watched a film like that? Brilliant! Until the ending. And what a disappointment the ending turned out to be. Have you ever had that experience? For me, one in, in recent-ish years was The Martian, uh, the, the film, though, not the book, and it's one of those few instances where I've actually read the book and watched the film. The book, let me say, it ends perfectly. Oh, that is just artistry. If you haven't read it, do yourself a favour, seriously. So, Andy Weir, the author, he didn't have to spell everything out for us. Um, he, he leaves you with the, the kind of happily ever after. The climax is still fresh in your mind and, and on your heart and, and urgent and in your eyes. It's spectacular the way he does it there. And even though it's this incredibly nerdy book, really nerdy book, um, it's, I mean, it's about an engineer slash botanist who's abandoned on Mars, okay, with no hope of getting home, um, of rescue or survival. It's so incredibly science, it's full of all of these scientific details and engineering sort of solutions. I loved it, though, so much as a book that I recommended it to Katie. I've just got to say, no offence, darling, that Katie's, okay, her appreciation for sci-fi, is it fair to say, is non-existent. But she read the book and loved the book. If you want to contradict me on that, please don't do it right this moment. Anyway, you can ask for Kate's review about it later. Um, but the film, 
Well, the film, you see, I loved the film until the ending. And I honestly don't know what, was it Ridley Scott, the director? I don't know what he was thinking. He had the ending right there. It was in the book. Just do what the book says. But instead, no, what does he do? Instead, he did this whole like, it's like an Aesop's fable kind of a thing where he blandly has the lead character um, sort of tell you the moral of the story, right? Dictate for you, literally, almost to the camera, the life lesson that you're supposed to take away from it. I mean, oh, yawn, we got it. You did a great job with the rest of the film. Don't spoil it now, spelling it all out for us. If I'd stopped watching the film five minutes early, I would have been, it would have been brilliant. Do yourself a favour, watch the film, stop at five minutes before the end. Um, have you ever read a book, have you ever watched a film whose ending robbed the thing of its glory? It was going so well until... And that's uh, the ending kind of taints it, colours it, spoils the memory of it. Friends, this morning I want to ask you, what do you make of the ending of the book of Acts? The Gospel of Luke sets up the mission of Jesus to the world, beginning at Jerusalem. The opening chapters of Acts itself sets up uh, for us the progress of the Word by the power of God's Holy Spirit from Jerusalem through Judea and Samaria and onward to the ends of the earth. But the conclusion of the book of Acts has Christ's chief ambassador chained around the clock to a Roman guard, confined to a rented home with his countrymen largely opposed to everything that he has to say. Would you have written it that way? Would you have given it that ending? It ends, in fact, in such a way that many commentators consider it not a moment of fanfare, but actually a real fizzle. And actually, it leads some of them to wonder, is Luke actually pretty disappointed? I mean, Luke's the one writing this for us. Is Luke disappointed in how this whole thing turned out? Did it not go as he envisaged it would? And I wonder if you'd agree with them. Brothers and sisters, as we look ahead today to the return of Jesus, and as we look around at our own circumstance and and the, the actual situation here at the ends of the earth, here in Tasmania... I want to encourage us with three brief points which amount to saying this, I believe Luke has deliberately, deliberately not given us a a pumped up kind of fictional fanfare, uh, as much as we might like to read that, as much as that might make a great sort of bestseller or whatever, but nor, I want to say, nor has he given us a disappointing fizzle. It's not a fanfare, it's not a fizzle, he has shown us rather the kind of faithfulness not only that we need to carry on with in the mission of Jesus to the world, but the kind of faithfulness that Jesus, by His Spirit, has maintained in His church, by by His Spirit to, to reach the lost, to reach the world, that He did back then and He still does today. A fanfare finish to Acts 28, you see, would imply that the job is done. But what Luke has given us instead is an invitation to be faithful in our context and into our future. An invitation to write, as it were, our own Acts 29, Acts 30, Acts 31 in each generation as Jesus continues His saving work 
in us and among us and through us to the world. I've got three points. The first is this, Luke wants us to see that the gospel that you and I have received in our day wasn't just Paul's thing, right? His little obsession, the the Apostles' pet project in their day, a cute little labour of love for a bygone era. No, you and I hold today nothing less than the historic hope shared by God's holy people through all of history. So, have, have a listen, let's have a, another listen to uh, some of the verses from Acts 28, where um, we have Paul defending himself to the Roman Jews. Now, just li- let's listen together to just how he does that, Paul defending himself to these Roman Jews. And, and recall for context, um, those of you who aren't familiar with the story of Acts, where are we at this point? How have we got here? Uh, so, Paul has, Paul narrowly escaped a plot to kill him, Um, after he was imprisoned back in Jerusalem. He's been en route to Rome now for months and months, years really, if you include his initial imprisonment. But his caper isn't about petty squabbles, it isn't about just demanding justice uh, against his adversaries through the legal process. No, have a look, uh, how does he describe it? So, uh, from verse 17, verse 17 of Acts 28, three days later... He, as in Paul, he called together the local Jewish leaders. There they are in Rome. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I've done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me, uh, as in the Romans wanted to release him, because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar... I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I've asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I'm bound with this chain. What do you make of that phrase? The hope of Israel. It is because of the hope of Israel that I'm bound with this chain. Just skip your eyes down to verse 23. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the Kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, so that like the Old Testament, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. You and I, brothers and sisters, what is this saying? It's saying, you and I, we hold not to a quaint little story that uh, just sort of appeared a couple of thousand years ago and some, some men, some apostles got very excited about We hold not to a quaint little story. We are members not of one religion among many, each equally valid, uh, just, uh, you know, none better or worse or more worthy of attention than the next. And perhaps this is perhaps especially important if, if, um, uh, if you're a guest among us today or just in terms of grasping authentic biblical Christianity, how do we understand ourselves as Christians? How do we understand the gospel of Jesus and its place in the world and in history. The hope of Israel means the future to which the Creator of all things, the God and sustainer of the entire universe, the hope of Israel is the one true future to which God is drawing everything. That He has been relentlessly bringing all things to, leading all things to, namely to Jesus, is what Paul's saying announced in the law of Moses and the prophets, appeared in the flesh, proclaimed from Jerusalem across to Rome, 
and returning in glory one day. Paul's saying, brothers, I'm not here in Rome just because of some petty religious squabble with the Jews back across in Jerusalem, some minor theological misunderstanding, some irrelevance, some, you know, religious knick-knack. I'm here to share with you the message from God about our fate and our future and the future of this world and all of its people. Are you willing to listen? Which leads to our second point, Paul proclaims an historic hope and in doing so, I think he's an honest herald who becomes a model for us, secondly, an honest herald. Let me explain what I mean. Um, But first, have a look at their reaction, okay? So, we see their reaction in verse 24 of Acts 28. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement, the Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you'll be ever hearing but never understanding, you'll be ever seeing but never perceiving, for this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Then Paul says, therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. Friends, I have a theory which I'd like to share with you. And my theory answers the question as to, why does Paul quote those Isaiah verses to these Jews as he meets their mixed reaction? Um, And understand this isn't... um, this isn't an anti-Jew thing, Paul was a Jew, right? So, but why does Paul quote um, these verses from Isaiah, uh, uh, these verses that were originally given to Isaiah for his context? So, to, uh, spoken from the Lord to Isaiah some seven centuries, 700 years prior, and, and the difficulty that Isaiah would face in his day and time. Is it just that Paul kind of sees himself as a modern Isaiah, as a legitimate, like God-ordained, Christ-empowered, faithful prophet of God, a mouthpiece, a herald, a spokesperson for truth and salvation in his day, as Isaiah was in his. Is it, further, additionally, that Paul's contemporaries, generally, didn't want to bar of what Paul had to say, not without exception, but generally didn't want a bar of him, just as Isaiah's contemporaries didn't. If you shut your ears to the gospel, don't think it robs God of what he's actually doing before your very eyes, now in the gospel of Jesus, but back then in the the prophecy that Isaiah was giving, it doesn't rob God of anything, it just proves that you're his enemy and his opponent. Is that really where you want to be in the plans of God? So, my theory, friends, is that it is both of those things, but it's one more as well. It's an additional thing. It's that Paul desires, um, yes, that the gospel goes to the Gentiles, but Paul, notice, he first went to the Jews. He actually really longs for the whole world, yes, Gentiles, but the Jews as well, to respond Rome and Jerusalem, believers and unbelievers, to open their eyes and ears and hearts and lives to what God is doing for them and among them. And so, do you see, he calls those Jews out on their unbelief, 
not to abandon them to it, but to help them to recognise in the plans of God what's going on in their lives and to call them out of it. In a sense, he's saying, my message, just like Isaiah's, and your response, just like in the days of Isaiah, is precisely what God said would happen when his true message comes. And so, if you see the unbelief of God's own people uh, in response to the true message of God, then that's actually part of uh, the signs of God's true message coming. Wake up! Don't remain in your unbelief, for goodness sake. This is the message that you've got to be open to. Take a look at the very next verse of uh, Acts chapter 28, verse 30, where it says, for two whole years... Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. All, not just the Gentiles, although it surely included them, not just the Gentiles because, oh, God's given up on the Jews. No, all. He welcomed all who came to him. Now, how does this apply to us? Well, I, I readily understand... Um, few of us here today, few, trace our lineage uh, to, to a Jewish heritage uh, in terms of parentage and ancestors, few. Uh, but may I say this by sort of an analogy, okay? So it's an analogy, I'm not trying to draw a really straight hard line of, of connection here. I want to say, I think there are plenty here who look at the abandonment of Jesus and, and the Gospel by those successive generations, I mean in our context, who really, like, they're somewhat analogous to the Jews. They had the Gospel the whole time. They had the words of God the whole time and yet they seem to have walked away. It's just an analogy, I'm not drawing a tight line, uh, but I I think there are plenty here who look at the abandonment of Jesus by the children and grandchildren of faithful believers and who feel disillusioned. Perhaps even in a way, it hurts your confidence in God Himself. And I just want to say, I I think, like Paul in his ministry, in his day, to those Jews there and their situation, I think we've got to both acknowledge that with pain and disappointment. Uh, Because it's real and it is sad. And the ones whose ears and hearts and eyes ought to be open to Jesus are sometimes the most reluctant and closed. And I think part of of our response to that just needs to be acknowledging the the sadness and the pain and the the grief, in a sense, that comes with that. And at the same time, we want to be doing what Paul's doing to the Jews here, pleading with them in spite of their unbelief, indeed, precisely because of their unbelief, calling and pleading with them that Jesus is for you. He's not just for the older generations or for Orma or for Dad or for that kind or for that type. He's for you. He's for all. See, Paul welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. I wonder if there's something of an analogy there for us to draw, in a sense, comfort from but also that calls us back to the mission of Jesus in our age and our peculiar context.
Thirdly and finally, Acts 28 closes out not with uh, a fanfare and Paul's success. Uh, I want to say the obvious reason for that, actually, if you think about it, is because Paul is not the hero of the book of Acts or of the Gospel of Luke. In fact, the, the image that Acts leaves us with, if we just zoom out from Paul just for a moment, is actually that of a vast group of Christians. Did you notice that as Gary read it to us before? All lending a helping hand to the cause of Jesus in the world and to the world. And in that sense, I actually find, I think the conclusion to Acts, it may not be the fantastical sort of fanfare and and everything, but it's absolutely not a fizzle. I find this far more encouraging and inspiring and empowering than some spectacular missionary success ever could have been as we see these groups of faithful Christians all pitching in and lending a helping hand. So just uh, glance back up the passage, if you could please, to say verse 14, and then we'll come back to those last couple of verses. So verse 14, uh, uh, there, uh, that is in uh, Putioli, which is on the Italian coast, there we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them. And so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters there had learned that we were coming and they travelled as far as the Forum of Appius and the Three Taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. Now come down to verse 30. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. What we actually have here is group after group of largely unnamed disciples and we're sort of wondering, where did they come from? Who, Who told them the gospel? How did they come to believe in Jesus? And some of them we might have a little bit of a hint about, but others of them we don't know. We don't know. Paul was under lock and key there in Rome, uh, albeit with considerable freedom and thank God for that, but we wonder who paid the rent for the home that he was living in. We're not quite sure. It doesn't exactly tell us. It does leave me wondering. Brothers and sisters, from now until the return of Jesus, in our time, in our place, this little group of Christians, and not just us, thank God, But this little group of Christians has an opportunity to roll up our sleeves and help toward the historic hope being heard by the whole world. Maybe that's a bit too grand, at least by the little patch of the whole world around us. And that doesn't mean that we get to be the heroes. But God didn't even mean for Paul to be the hero in the end. Point has never been the fanfare with which our efforts are praised, but the faithfulness of Jesus in drawing people to himself and even using servants like us to that end. And that, I find an inspiring place to leave the book of Acts as we look ahead to Christ's return until he comes. Let's pray. Our glorious Heavenly Father, To the glory of your name, the message of Jesus has reached our ears right down the ages and right across the world, to our ears. By the work of your Spirit, that hope has taken up residence in our hearts and by the extraordinary grace of our God, you are pleased to use even our hands to see the proclamation of Jesus ring out in our time and in our city and even through us, through our fumbling conversations, 
But Father, we confess our hearts really do hurt for those that we love and we long to see embrace Jesus, not unlike those early Jews in their rejection of Christ and His Gospel. God, would you please pour out your mercy and may they embrace the true and potent message of the risen Lord Jesus to save them and for the salvation of the world. Would you grip them, please? Father, where we've been lazy or uncreative or ungodly or overly comfortable, whatever has contributed to their unbelief, whatever we need to unlearn or relearn or discover so that the gospel might sing out from us all the more clearly and fully and openly. Father, would you work that change in us, the, the repentance that we need. Uh, Father, may we know in the gospel the forgiveness of sins for us and to be proclaimed to the nation, the people around us until the return of Christ. Father, would you carry on your work until Christ's great day. And we do pray, come Lord Jesus. Amen.